Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello, welcome to the Phil Hayes Show. It's brought to you by The Athletic with us from the Square Ball. Dan here from the Square Ball. Michael from the Square Ball. Phil Hay from The Athletic. Theathletic.com forward slash Leeds pod to read everything Phil's written about Leeds. Everything from across the football and sporting worlds as well. Ad-free pods and interactions around the match days themselves, which are becoming fewer in number now, Phil. We're nearing the uh, we're at the business end of the season, as football cliches would say. It's just all calming down, isn't it, for the end? And it's yeah. just, we're just a nice taper off out towards the back end of May and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Wow, what a week. You mentioned cliches there and he did a piece about two weeks ago where he was trying to work out in the way that he does who is the most on the beach club in the Premier League and the answer was, I must confess, I didn't read it um, so I don't know how this was done scientifically and how it was calculated but everything's scientific with cliches and the answer was Leeds United. So there you go, like you say, nice and calm, everybody ready for the summer, all good. Just dipping your toes in that lovely warm water. Yeah, I was just saying, what what an absolutely batshit mental week it has been. There's no other way to phrase it. It's just yeah. another another descent into chaos, the, the kind of which has been all too familiar at Leeds United in recent years. So where, where do we start with this then? Should we go back to the end of Bournemouth and, and roll forward from there? Yeah. I mean, cliches, if you haven't ever read his stuff, is not serious with these things. So um, it was a joke about them being on the beach as opposed to just um, tossing it off and, you know, Phoning it in, yeah, it's been it's been proper proper meltdown scenario this week, which I think has has been coming, and it's felt like meltdown since that second half against Crystal Palace, which they just never recovered from. Gracia didn't recover from. You get a feel for the you get a feel for the mood of a manager. You get a feel for the authority of a manager, and I think more than anything, you get a feel for how likely they are to get a grip of things after a game like Bournemouth, and you could see in Gracia that it it was all slipping away and I mean the, the piece we wrote afterwards the piece I wrote afterwards basically said do they spin the wheel again here because there is actually nothing else they can change okay you can tweak the team a bit you could use players more who aren't getting used too much but your only solution in these circumstances and clearly they've part of company with Victor Orta as well but your only real solution to what's going on the pitch is to change the head coach it's just fairly unprecedented to see a club change head coach with four games to go when there's actually something at stake. What usually happens at this time is that a manager goes because the game's up, the season's done. And, you know, a little bit like Eddie Gray when Leeds got relegated in 2004, Blackwell took the last game at Chelsea because Gray had tried, Gray had had a go, it was all over. It wasn't going to be his job going forward. So in the end, you exit the building and, and everybody starts to work out what happens next. But this is completely different. And it's funny that it's ended up being Sam Allardyce because... Allardyce back in February did try to put himself forward for this after Marsh was sacked and as everybody knows Leeds were looking at Riolo over at Vallecano, Arna Slot, Schroeder, you know Scubala's caretaker, everything else until it led to Gracia's door towards the end of the month but Allardyce had tried to get in touch to say look I am available as if Leeds didn't know you know he wasn't in work but I am available I would do this if you if you want me to he and Angus Kinnear go back to West Ham where Kinnear was uh, um, was an executive marketing guy um, Allardyce managing director I think um, 
the Allardyce's manager. So they knew each other, still in contact sporadically. This time round, it was obviously completely different. And I've said a few times this week, it felt, it, it kind of summed up, I think, exactly where Leeds are, exactly where the regime are, exactly where their cycle is, that in the end, they've found themselves going for the most archetypal or stereotypical English solution, which is Big Sam to the end of the season, four games to try and keep them up. And quite honestly, a toss of the coin as to whether it works. So why have we gone for him now and not when we appointed Gracia? Because quite simply, even back in February, Leeds were doing what they always tried to do, which was to think beyond the immediate term, the short term. Leeds are a club who, right the way through this, have always tried to be medium to long-term thinkers. So with recruitment, with coaches, everything else, it's about how the the project, the process, if we can use that awful word, expands <sighs> over a lengthy period of time, not just about what's going to going to happen tomorrow and in February I think they still thought they were all right they got rid of Marsh but they they felt that if they could get Iriola fantastic he was I think very much top of their list even in the absence of that and things did become very fraught in the lead up to to Grassi's appointment but even then I think they thought they would they would get out of it and they would be okay so the idea of short-term hit with Allardyce who by the way I think is the last coach that Otter in particular would have been wanted to see to to appoint because that is that that is the option that if if somebody said, Dan, come in and sort this out by picking a manager to the end of the season, you probably would just say, well, just get Allardyce. You know, just get Allardyce for four games. Anybody can come up with that solution. So no, again, no science to it. There's no no strategy apart from solve this now. And and I was on the Athletics Football podcast earlier this week and Ian Irving was, was talking about this. And I said, you know, short-termism is really unfashionable in football. People hate the idea that everything you're doing is, or, or people in the game seem to hate the idea more and more that everything you're doing is just about the here and now. Except you get to Bournemouth, a game like that, and what hap- what matters more? What's in any way relevant other than the here and now? That, you know, that's the game you've got to win. That's the game you've got to take points from. That's the game you've got to show up for. So suddenly, it's right at the doorstep. It's incredibly urgent. Four games to go, which means you have next to no options. You'll have seen like Lee Boyer linked with a job briefly on Monday you're picking from a tiny pool of people who will come and do it or are available. And it does tend to lead you back to the door of somebody like Allardyce. So I think what you could say is back in February, Leeds thought they were cleverer than this. Now where we are, they they plainly aren't, you know, they're, they're out of ideas. They're almost out of time. This is a kind of, as I say, last spin of the wheel. It's the Hail Mary, isn't it? Yes. I said on our show this week that there's some irony in the fact that we, we started the season with Jesse Marsh, who whose critics would say talked too much. The fear was that he was more about vibes than he was about substance. And everyone will have their own opinion on that. Might be true, might be not. And it goes to kind of demonstrate the lack of control that has unfolded across the course of this season. Or the spiralling out of control, if you like, that it's come down to Sam Allardyce, who's been put in to basically G them up and try and get them up for this to instill some vibes back in them. It's almost like full circle, isn't it? Well, that was the thing on Sunday. I don't think anybody doubts, whatever's going on, I don't think anybody doubts that Gracia can coach and that Gracia has ideas and that and that tactically he's got something about him. It, it clearly all dropped to bits spectacularly. But what he is absolutely not is a full-blown motivator. You know, that is just not him. And I think Leeds at Bournemouth suddenly thought to themselves, that more than anything is what we could do with him. Allardyce will do other things. He will start defensively, and he said this in his press conference yesterday, he will start defensively by trying to make sure 
that they don't just go to City and concede six, which they might do anyway. But he will try to change things slightly um, from a tactical point of view. But he spoke a lot yesterday about looking at who's struggling, who's coping, who isn't, you know, how the pressure is affecting them. So this will come down to quite a lot of psychology, uh, psychology and emotion, you know, the, the levels of confidence that he sees and, and this thing of trying to motivate them through four games to get anything out of it, to get, get as much as they need. But from Bielsa to Marsh to Gracia to Allardyce, if you were looking for continuity and you were trying to draw a straight line, what you've ended up with is a graph that looks like Everest. It's just bouncing all over the place, you know, and hence why they are where they are, because the idea of a coherent or fluent plan of attack has gone completely. They just don't have it. And the director of football has gone too, which means that there's going to have to be a change in that position, going to have to be an appointment in that position. And I think we spoke quite a lot on the pod last week about the, the Radrazani era grinding to a halt and, and kind of reaching the end of the road, running out of road. This probably demonstrates it more than anything. I think any club that is having to turn to somebody like Allardyce, and, and I don't mean any offence to Allardyce in, in this sense, but any club that's having to turn to him with four games left is out of ideas. But it is an, an idea. Yes. And it's it's an idea that's different to the one that we had in place. So as you were saying, we've reached the point now where if you're going to roll the dice and it probably needed it, which yeah. is mad no, to I, say, I, isn't I, it? It's totally absolutely, isn't it mad to say it just to even consider how football has gone in this respect and that the, the Premier League and the prospects of dropping out of the Premier League is so high stakes that it's led to this kind of outcome. I feel but, like without the financial cliff, that you fall off when you go down to the championship. I feel like there'd be more thought to saying, okay, well, yeah. we'll rebuild for next season. Maybe we try and we try and sell the project to like, I don't know, Brendan Rodgers or someone. But that's not that's not an option, is it? When you when you've still got a chance of staying in the Premier League, people will cling to it with absolutely everything, which I guess is why yeah. you stick a bounty of two and a half million quid on it if yeah. if you could for a month's work. If you, you can and you roll it. the dice because it's worth it, isn't it? Well here's the thing, not content with sending me on a nine hour trip a nine-hour drive to Bournemouth, the athletic sent me to Leicester on Monday night. They said, go and rub a neck Leicester v Everton. And actually, it was well worth it. It was a great game. I like how you framed really. that framed that as if you had a gun to your head as well. Yeah, so. yeah, as if um, <laughs> as if I, I, I wasn't being paid to do it. But I would quite have liked a Monday night in, if you know what I mean. I was sort of thinking, I'll oh, sit and watch some... Um, Weather's on at the minute. I've bit got, of I've got, I've got a bit of Corrie. I've got a better call soul on at the minute because we're miles behind on that. And it's, um, and it's good. But it was a really good idea because I actually enjoyed going to Leicester and it was a really good game to watch. And I found myself sitting there enjoying it, right? Which is strange because it's quite hard to enjoy these Leeds games at the minute because there's so much riding on it. But nobody in the stadium was particularly enjoying it, if that makes sense, because the stakes are so high. And, and because of, like Michael says, and I think this is a key point, because of the cliff that you drop over, the stakes are made to feel ridiculously big. It's not just about league status anymore. It's about so much more than that and I did find myself thinking if it wasn't like that and if the, the financial cliff wasn't so steep you'd actually be able to kind of enjoy in a sort of gallows humour way these matches because they're pretty good like Leicester Everton was a great watch on Monday night and okay we had skin in the game because it affected the table but it was quite a relief to sit and watch a game where you weren't twitching in the way that you know everybody else in the stadium was twitching but football's gone too far in that sense and that's what, probably why you've seen as many managerial changes this season as as you have. And Allardyce said yesterday, he had no expectation at all of getting a call from anybody in the Premier League because he assumed that the Premier League was done when it came to sacking managers for this season. Surely with four games to go, nobody was actually going to take the plunge 
once more or nobody was going to take the plunging circumstances that meant that you'd be going for somebody like him you know there'd be nobody who would actually need a firefighter this late in the day but here leads are and, and here he is and it's it's for him to do how do you feel about it now both of you I, I yeah, from an emotional perspective I just feel like I've kind of handed myself over to the fates now and what you know what will be will be it's a full-on quesarara kind of uh, attitude towards the closing part of the season uh, from a position of fully accepting that we're but well, what else can it well, be? Well, we're highly likely to go down because just by definition of where we are in the table, there's every chance that could happen. There's also a chance we might stay up. But I've kind of, I've gone beyond the end of the race in terms of feeling stressed and, and anxious about the whole thing. Uh, I'm just like really fatigued by the season now. And, and just, we've said for a number of weeks, this one just needs to die again. And I'm kind of, I've gone beyond that now too. I just can't wait until this one is over one way or another. I feel better than I did, I have to say. And whether how much of that is due to Allardyce and I will come on to Arta and how much of it is just an almost a relief that the Arta thing is over with because whether or not you can see the good in what he did which I can in some of the in some of the stuff he's done I'm not I'm not completely I know some people are, are like have been desperate to get him out I can I can see certain things he's done and I can see the good in them but it just that whole narrative was just tiring me out I think and I, I was dreading him screaming at people in the West Stand against Newcastle and all that sort of stuff and I feel like some of that has been swept aside this week, and I yeah, and I feel like undoubtedly we were going down under grass here. We probably still are, but you never know. I mean, it's a bad start. Man City is not the game you want to be kicking this off. It's, it's more like three games, isn't it, for Allardyce than than four? Although we'll we'll see. A really good point that about Arta, which is that we'll speak about this in part two and discuss him more broadly, but. It was starting to dominate everything, wasn't it? You weren't really hearing chants from the stands against Radrazani specifically. Although the word Radrazani is hard to fit in a chant. It is. It's been done though. It's been done and it can be done. Um, the chant, there was obviously some chanting towards the players, but most of it was against Alter. Now, I can't speak for anybody else, but I started to wonder whether people had kind of clocked and registered the fact that Radrazani might well be exiting in the summer and that he, you know, he doesn't have much more rope left, so perhaps he's done. And it, it felt as if there was frustration towards Orta for the way this had gone and, and his role in it. But I also wondered whether there was a kind of an aspect of people saying, "Look, if anybody's thinking that that this guy can stay as part of the the setup for whatever comes next, then think again." You know, we we want clear out then. So in sacking Orta, and I don't think this was specifically what it was about in the end, but it has drawn that poison. You know, the, the crowd at the Etihad are not going to have him to chant about because he's gone. It kind of removes that toxicity yep. that was around him. And I guess it creates a little bit more of a clean slate for somebody like Allardyce. It is a little bit of a, a fresh start. But I, I wouldn't fool myself in thinking that what's gone on this week has placated people massively. There's still huge frustration about out there. Only thing I would say is it's no different elsewhere, particularly Everton. I was chatting to some um, Everton fans outside the away end on Monday for the piece that I did. And what's really interesting is that quite often football gets partisan and you know people find injustice elsewhere or grievances elsewhere, feel like they've been cheated out of this by VAR or whatever else. Everybody from Leeds to Everton, you know, even to a degree Leicester, are kind of saying... If we go down, then we've absolutely had it coming and the supporters don't deserve it, but the club does because the club have been asking for it. We should say just for the record as well, Otter has left by mutual consent officially. Yes. Um, Again, come on to this. I, I think that's probably fairly accurate, but I think it was you know starting to get to the point where it was unavoidable too. I mean, to go back to Everton, 
in terms of the the cliff you'll drop off if you go down, Everton are in a worse position than us. You would have to say as well, given Absolutely. given the the limits they've pushed financial fair play to, and some of the tricks they've already had to play to get to this stage. They've they've got no other options now, have they? Essentially. Well, I was I was on Five Live last night, and I was thinking, you know, Leeds are in crisis because you're listening to me again. What um, <laughs> <laughs> time I, I ever ever seem to tip up? And we were discussing this about what happens if they go down, and you know, the the ownership question came into it and I said you know if more than one person has said to me you might see Radrizani trying to stick this out because you do have the strategy of pulling parachute payments sell players raise transfer funds put a squad together that you think can get out of the, the championship quickly and it has to be said that it's probably never been easier for relegated clubs to get out just on the basis of the clubs who are going up and he gets the you know the club back to the, the level of value that he would want if he was selling it and whatever else so yeah it's not Leeds as they were in 2004. You're not expecting Leeds to collapse in the like the hideous way that they did back then. It, it doesn't feel like that. And there would be, I think, ways of managing this. Players will have wage reduction, clauses in the contracts, all, all that sort of stuff. How it looks, though, is not great. And you know that, I think, through the summer particularly would be the challenge for Radrizani if he was trying to stay on, would be the, the objections to it from people who have seen how badly it's gone over the last two years. But Everton are a different case altogether. And I do think their supporters realise that. I do think they know that they've got trouble ahead. In terms of what Radrazani's going to do and what he has done and the moving out of order, I guess, kind of preempts some of that summer change, doesn't it? Which we will get onto in part two, as we've mentioned. Just quickly, while we talk about Sam Allardyce coming in, we've got Carl Robinson, we've got Robbie Keane. What do you think they bring as a unit then that's perhaps been missing at uh, Ellen Road at Thorpe Arch? Well, Robinson's been around the game a long time. He was... He, he, whenever I think of Robinson, I always think of back in the day when Leeds would change manager from time to time, and cl- you know clubs generally would change manager from time to time. And Robinson always appeared in every single betting list as you know fairly high without being favourite. He did come pretty close to getting the job. I was, I think, would have been given the job, but he accepted it when Chileno was owner. Although I mean, Chileno just used to to hand it out willy nilly. And actually, this period has kind of reminded me of that because we're on to the stage now. I think where. Allardyce at City will be the fourth coach Leeds have had in about 14 games, including Skubala. You know, it's, um, it speaks for itself. Robbie Keane obviously has had previous jobs like Middlesbrough, for example. Allardyce, <laughs> Allardyce made it sound a little bit like he was coming in to do stand-up for everybody. You know, he's just here. I, I remember somebody once talking about Danny Kadamari at, at Huddersfield um, and saying it, it was a period where Kadamari was injured. And saying ah, but he's good for the banter, you know, and that's what kind of kind of made it sound like. And um, Robinson is known to Allardyce obviously because they worked together at um, Blackburn and has been at MK Dons, was at at Oxford. What they can do is very hard to say, you know, how how much difference it's going to make. I came out, I found Allardyce's presser yesterday a bit weird, actually. Parts I thought it was at the outset, I thought it would become, you know, a bit jovial, a bit of um, you know. Big Sam pulling the strings as you kind of expected, all a, a bit of a laugh. Some of it was just odds, you know, like having a pop at the judiciary for not letting Sammy Lee off jury service. Michael picked up really quickly. I didn't have time to tweet it out. Picked up really quickly on the uh, the concept of percentages, <laughs> yeah, which you know was. Uh, but if we only proved two percent. We're twenty two percent. We've all made that mistake, and we. That's a great line to use in work, isn't it? Yeah. You know. I've, I've improved 2% in each year I've been in the job. So, you know, at this stage. Every, <laughs> like, if you, yeah. every day. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I've improved by 8 million percent or something something like that. 
and, and you know, obviously the stuff about Pep. I don't think people should pretend that he doesn't know what he's doing there. He know, you know, he said himself, "I've given you a headline," and that is not accidental. You know, that's kind of out of the out of the Ferguson playbook. I think once you started to drill down into what was actually going to happen, it was really clear that it was going to be. He said priority will be goalkeeper and the back four. In no way did he completely back Melier, although he did say he thinks Melier is a very very good keeper. But he also made it very clear that he thinks Melier has been making mistakes, which. You know, begs the question of will it be Robles away at Manchester City? But I came away thinking I'm none the wiser actually as to whether I think this is going to work or not. I, I really, I really don't know, and I don't forget either that you know he said yesterday. I thought this was a fair point. He said, although West Brom got relegated under me, um, it was during COVID and because of the restrictions. You know, the the inability to have regular contact one to one, um, or the restrictions of how much time people could spend together. You couldn't really run the club in the way that you normally would. And I think that, you know, I think that is a, a fair comment. He says he wishes he hadn't taken it. But you remove that from the picture and he hasn't worked in management for almost five years. Um, that aside, it's a long time. And I, I think we have the image of what Allardyce was and what he used to do. It does very much remain to be seen whether that's still him and whether he can still do it. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As we touched on in part one then, Phil, Victor Orta has now left Leeds United. It, it felt like we were coming towards that sort of conclusion anyway, didn't it? Because he spoke in a recent interview in, in Spain about, you know, the medium term and the future with his kids going back there. It was, yeah, it was heading this way, wasn't it? I've always had the sense that the 49ers uh, or 49ers enterprises were minded to keep him on had this all gone smoothly and takeover gone to plan and, and everything else. And, and likewise, Kinnear, even if it was only transitional or whatever else but when I came away from Fulham I I was listening to the chance against Orta and I, I wrote after that that does need to be changed now that you know these voices need to be heard and I thought the the statement from the supporter, supporter advisory board last weekend was pretty much bang on the money I think there comes a stage where people do need to be listened to and, and dissent does need to to register and you know that that statement was right because they were calling for a change in the dugout. They were calling for changes in the boardroom. And within about 72 hours, Grassi has gone, Allardyce is in and, and Alter has departed as well. I think it had become unavoidable. I, As I was writing after Fulham, my expectation was still that we'd be looking at the summer rather than here and now. But I think the reasons for Alter going this week or, or some of them sum up really him and, and who he is. He wanted to keep Gracia. He was trying to fight Gracia's corner. We've actually got an interview that Adam Crafton did with Gracia, um, which is on the website at the moment, and he, he mentions that in it. The board wanted to change. You know, the board wanted to change. The board were absolutely convinced that Gracia had to go. And it reached the stage where they and Otto were saying, well, we're clearly on completely different pages here. So, you know, we need to we need to go. And, you know, on, on Monday night, I was just about to go from Leicester on Monday when I got a message from somebody saying, listen, take this as... as gospel Allardyce is coming in Grassi is going I think Otter will be off too um, so we did the Allardyce story on the, late on the Monday night and we said in it you know there's some doubt about Otter's position um, serious doubt about it and then on, early on Tuesday morning it was clear that that he was going to leave and, and did subsequently leave but that's not dissimilar to what happened in January after the Villa game 
it was going around that Radrazani was minded to sack Jesse Marsh. And when Alter got wind of this or, or started to, to find out that that might happen, he essentially said, look, if Marsh goes, I'll resign because I still think he can do this and I still think he's the right man for it. So what you have is somebody who just had his ideas and had total conviction in them to a fault in some situations to the bitter end as it was this week. Absolutely knew how he saw things and how he thought about things and wouldn't deviate from it, didn't deviate from it. And in the end, I think that that in part has, has caught up with him. As I was saying in part one, medium to long-term thinking, yes, you, you do need that. But what is the value of it? if you don't handle the short term properly. I mean, take stadium development as an example. That is planned and that is wanted, obviously, because they have this massive waiting list. They have a ground that is too small, but it's not going to happen in the championship. So if you're not sure about the waiting list in the championship either. Is a fair point. I, for what it's worth, I don't think it will dwindle so much because a lot of people got stung when Bielsa came in and the football was suddenly incredible and justifiably decided to give up season tickets or had reasons to give up season tickets, but then suddenly found that they would like to get them back and couldn't because Ellen Road was too small. You know, we couldn't get more people in. But it's not going to happen in the championship. So the long-term planning that you're doing actually isn't working. Somebody put it brilliantly on Twitter, which is the, the kind of paradox of the Premier League, is that you plan for a future that isn't necessarily there. And it's only there if, if you're able to handle the here and now and if you're able to do things like go to Bournemouth where you need to win and win the game as opposed to getting trounced 4-1. So I always feel with Alter, that it is far more complex and far more nuanced than simply was he good, was he bad, was he a shambles, was he great, this, that and the other. There were good aspects of what he did. I think it built up to a, a high point at the end of the first Premier League season. But what more than anything, what I'm left thinking is that from the point where Bielsa left, nobody seemed to know how to manage it. Nobody seemed to know what to do. Nobody seemed to know what sort of head coach they needed, who they should get. That I don't feel I disagree with that because we, we've heard that he knew he wanted Marsh. I think it. No, I think, no, they, no. I think you, they knew exactly what they wanted to do, but it was an error. You, you're misunderstanding me. They didn't know what to do that would work. So yes, he went for Marsh, he wanted Marsh, but Marsh was absolutely not the right call. So to put it a better way, from the point where Bielsa has gone, a lot of what they've done has been wrong. You know, it's been wrong and it hasn't it hasn't paid off. But they were, they were planning for Bielsa's departure before it happened. And yeah, he yeah want, absolutely. And, and he wanted Marsh and we were sold the idea that one would naturally follow the other, which was a, a joke. Yeah, a complete error. And but but that's what that's what I'm saying. From the point of Bielsa leaving, they haven't known what to do. They haven't known what to do in a way that would have given the club any continuity or would have given the club any form, would have let the club continue or take the best of the Bielsa legacy the legacy of Bielsa should never have been this you know they're in this situation where with four games to go they're saying we need Allardyce and and doing it the, the the attempts to build the squad I mean this goes back earlier than Bielsa actually but the attempts to build the squad since then have not worked the players that they've signed and relied on most heavily have not been good at, or have not performed good enough or not been available enough whatever it is there is not a good team there and that's how that's how I see it I just think that the the mistakes have been one on top of another since the end of the BLC era and some of them prior to that as well. And that's that leaves them where they are now. And I think there comes a point at which as director of football, you have to carry the can for an awful lot of that. You're not the only one. And there's somebody above him who has more authority than him, um, as people are, are well aware. But yeah, I, I don't think I don't think there was anywhere else to go with this, was there? I think the perfect storm of things this season of Marsh very much being his man and pu- very publicly his man. I know some people have said 
I've joined the dots between the Americans and the 49ers and it, but everything we know says that it's, it was Marsh who was wanted by Arthur long before he appointed him. Oh, absolutely, it, yeah. From that into backing him in the transfer window and some of the summer signings that haven't worked out through to Jorginho Ruta and Weston McKenney, and mm-hmm. then the John Kevin Augustine stuff was just like the last the last straw for people. Everyone was like, well, look how much money has been wasted within what, what felt like about two months. Uh, a club you, that could uh, scarcely afford to yeah, waste it. because essentially you could look at that as like 100 million quid in, in about a month, it felt like. And it was like, well, what have we got for this? Augustine was a little bit like, it, it was one of the, the, the markers, wasn't it, that made you think it's all going wrong. It's all going the way it doesn't want to go. And that, that was a big thing after Bournemouth, actually, was that you had Gracia, who didn't look like he had any answers, you had players who were standing looking at the way end as if they did they physically did no not did not know what to do with themselves. And you had Radrazani DMing a supporter saying, This is shit, it's my fault, it's ridiculous. It's all the hallmarks. Textbook case of a club who've completely lost it and a club who have 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 dropped apart. In terms of the structural failings then, Phil, just to return to a point you were you were making there about Otter threatening to walk out if Marsh is sacked mm. post Villa, doesn't that point to a club where the decision making and the power is concentrated in too few hands. And if Victor Orta had that amount of sway over Radrazani and the club in general, that's slightly alarming, isn't it? Because it's a club that's been cast in his image and he had too much, too much responsibility in a way. I think over the past twelve months in particular, it's not purely been you're absolutely right that he had a lot of lot of power. And I think more so once Bielsa went, his control or his um his influence over transfers was was greater again because under Bielsa they had to make some effort to you know keep him as as sweet as they could. He had final say, the, didn't he? Had final say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's also been the issue, you know, twelve months, eighteen months of what is going on at ownership level. I the the wait for ownership to transfer in majority form or over or outright control from Radrazani to the 49ers, which has meant, and I know that Otto was frustrated about this, as other people at the club have been as well. It meant that every transfer had to be a discussion and a debate about who pays for this who picks up the bill I mean there was a point in January where it was being discussed with Ruta that it would be a loan with an obligation in the summer or if not an obligation an option which was basically impossible to miss i.e. you loan him now for a potential small loan fee and then the money comes further down the line well of course in the summer it's possible that the ownership is not or the majority shareholder is not Radrazani anymore it's the 49ers so everything got wrapped up in, in this and I've never been certain either and it'd been good to ask them this when finally we're able. I've never been certain that the 49ers were trying to rush Marsh out of the club either. Michael's totally right. The idea that Marsh was appointed because they wanted an American or they favoured American influence or they liked the fact that it was going to be an American, just not the case. You know, it seemed to me that that it was driven by Otto more than anybody else and, and it was essentially his pick. But I think it all comes down in the end to the quality of decisions and the quality of individuals because I don't think if you go to Brighton you would find down there that you have sporting directors who have, don't have very, very strong influence but they do have an owner in Tony Bloom who quite clearly runs the show and, and is at the top of top of everything. So I think it would be different under 49ers Enterprises but I don't think there's any doubt that you would end up with another sporting director, director of football and they would be tasked in the main because it is supposed to be their area of expertise. And let's not pretend that the 49ers are, you know, steeped in history of English football or in steeped in the history of experience in the, the transfer market or recruitment or anything like that in this in this sport. 
it would still fall to the director of football to dictate and guide them in in a lot of respects. The academy, the first team, head coaches, all of that. That's that's the job. Yeah, but from from speaking to people around this this deal, one of the suggestions seems to be that they will and potentially could put in uh, a more robust structure maybe um, around all that stuff. So the concentration of power is not just in one person's hands. Maybe there is a, a head of recruitment. Maybe there's somebody who looks like, you know, deals with the transfer separately and it's all just separated out a little bit. And and there are, I don't know, checks and balances between the, the executive management structure. Because if it's auto just basically driving everything in one person, that goes back to the point I was making before about too much power being in one man's hands. I think that's right. I, I would expect that. To, certainly on the senior management front, I think you'll get a much broader boardroom structure. And there is scope for recruitment and so on to to widen. They don't have a huge scouting team at Leeds. It's not massive by the standards of, of the Premier League. And actually that's true of, of quite a lot of things at Leeds. But it seems to me that there's some quite obvious lessons to learn from all this in the way that there were some quite obvious lessons to learn from last season. And you have to accept that you probably are going to have poor seasons in the Premier League because it's that sort of decision, uh, that sort of division, sorry. But for it to go this year as it did last year and actually to go worse means that the you know people people have got to answer for it for sure. And where do Leeds go from here then? You say we need another sporting director. Who's going to appoint that sporting well, director? Has the start has the search for that started? Do you think maybe it was already underway because there's there's the potential takeover? It's it's hard to know exactly where we are. This limbo's not helping, is it? I, I say there needs to be a sporting director. It would be common sense really given that that's the model that every single club give or take in Europe is kind of following at the moment. Director of football, sporting director whatever it is, that that position will have to be filled. But it has to be said that that kind of pushing on with any of this is probably quite difficult until leads are clear about where they're going with the next step of, with ownership. Is it going to be Radrazani in charge next season? Is it going to be 49ers Enterprises? As we keep saying, if they stay up, I think it will. there will be a shift. If they go down, I, I think it's far more questionable. As I say, I don't think 49ers Enterprises will exit because they've got a big stake. And they would they would want money for it, you know. Somebody else would have to have to pay for that. But yeah, no, they, they've they've got a hell of a lot to do this summer, one way or the other. And one of the things that's quite interesting in Allardyce's press conference was it got on to talking about, you know, has, is this going to be four games for you or might it be longer? You know, never say never, he said. But I suppose in Allardyce style, there was no, um, he didn't go down the line of, well, you know, it's up to me to impress the club, and if I do, then maybe. They'll want to um, keep me on. He just said quite openly, well, the squad's going to need work, isn't it? Because it's not good enough. And there's no way I want to come in next season and have a dogfight right from the off. You know, and so he's clearly looking at it and thinking this squad is not adequate. And I think while there are good players in it, and there is quite a, a healthy amount of resale value in it as well. As I said, time and time and time again, it has just not been stitched together into a good team. Um, and you wonder less and you know, more and more whether there is a good team in this lot. Staying up feels like it offers a lot more certainty. Than, than going down. If we do go down, what to you represents a realistic and sensible way forward? I'm, I'm thinking specifically something that we've been talking about on the on the shows that we've done about it this week, Michael. Like, um, it, it feels like the people at the top need to be held accountable. You could say Victor Ross has been held accountable, but ultimately it goes back to Radrazani. Would it make sense, even if uh, he does choose to stick around, that maybe he goes he goes into minority ownership? and the 49ers are then at least with their hands on the keys, their names above the door. It's the opportunity to start the process of investment, bringing new people in. What, is that realistic, I, do you think? I feel like there are probably two 
two more likely options in the championship. One is that Radrazani sits at 56% and tries to, to get back up as Burnley have using parachute payments, transfer funds, whatever else they can they can pull together. The other would seem to be that 49ers enterprises do move into majority ownership without going wildly close to 100% with clauses or options or whatever else further down the line to complete a takeover, a fuller takeover or a full takeover. If they're promoted, if they're back in the Premier League, perhaps at a price that would more suit Radrazani and would allow them to do it. It's the difference, isn't it, I think, of looking at it from an emotive football point of view and looking at what you think is best for the club and then remembering always, and this applies to most football clubs, that because of the money involved, the people who own it and the people who have finance at stake are going to want to get what they want to get out of it if they can. And, you know, as I say, a few people have sort of said to me, well, relegation will surely make Radrazani think, should I just have a crack at this myself and try and get us up? Because if I do, then, you know, the, the value of the club can return to something closer, like the, the half a billion pounds that was, or, or thereabouts in the option and with the 49ers. So those seem like the two most likely possibilities to me. I, I don't sense a lack of commitment at all on the um, part of the 49ers, I don't think. Um, in the sense that but, what they, they would like to take control? Yeah, um, well, and I I don't expect them to just... Dep- if they get relegated leads, I don't expect them to just depart in the summer. I don't yeah. think it would just be a case of, right, well, this isn't what is it, so we're we're out. Well, they don't get um, their money back, do they? If Leeds are in the Championship, the money they've already put in is dead. Uh, highly unlikely, yes. I think similar to Radrazani. Yeah, it's probably also worth just explaining at this point as well that there is a difference between... You've got 49ers Enterprises who are the sort of umbrella body who are managing these funds that have bought into the club. And so if they take the 56% now, it's going to be backed by like venture capital money yes. and things like that. Yeah. So it's not their money, but they are the they're, organi- the, they're the face of it. Yeah, they're yeah. essentially the face of it and they're the, the people that will organise it and run it yeah. on behalf of the people who who fund it. So there there is a clause in the deal apparently, isn't there, that it will it's off essentially. There's a, there's a get out clause if we go down. But that doesn't mean that the 49ers themselves as the organisation that would like to take over means that they completely bail out. It could no, be that no. the, the, the funds for this deal, they might not be involved, but it gives the opportunity maybe of a different deal. Well, and consider the fact that in the championship, you don't need as much funding to buy the club. You know, yeah. the club becomes le- worth less money. So the amount of... Um, you could get funding, more for less in the short term, couldn't you? Well, the amount of funding that you need to raise to do it in the Premier League is different to the amount of funding you need to raise to do it in the Championship. So if you do have investors who walk away from it, and or part of the, the people in the investment group who say no longer want to be part of this, only wanted a Premier League club, not interested in the EFL, it's not necessarily a problem, but it doesn't change the fact that you still have Radrazani in the mix who needs to decide what, what he's doing. And and as I say, because the, the 49ers um, have 44% in the club, if they were to decide we've had enough and we're going, they're not just going to dump them and say somebody else can have them. They're going to want paid for them. You know, they're going to want. So you have to find somebody who can, Radrazani or, or somebody else, who can actually put up the money to buy them out. And as I say, I don't get the sense that they want to be bought out at all. But it's massively, massively up in the air. It's one of those strange scenarios where if Leeds do what they need to do over the next four games, all of this chat could become instantly irrelevant because it could happen quickly should happen quickly it all seems to be in order when it comes to contracts and agreements and and everything else unless something unexpected happens in the meantime but if they go down that will be one of the biggest questions and when you consider that they need another director of football if that's the route they're going to go down they're going to need a head coach presuming this, that Allardyce doesn't go beyond four games in charge they're going to need players they're going to need you know there's a lot to do 
And to the first of those four games, then it's Man City at the weekend. <laughs> Basically, everybody's just writing, the, writing this one off, aren't they? Should we write it off? Or do we always have one in us, Phil? Somebody... I don't uh, even believe that, to be honest. Uh, Alex, one of our, um, our subs, has asked us all to do 100 words just for a, a combined piece on how this weekend's going to go. And they um, they sent us percentages of how this weekend's going to go. Manchester City v Leeds, home win, 87.9% chance, draw, 9% chance, away win, 3.2% chance, which I, which I thought was quite generous, mm. actually, all things all things considered. So we, what's that? If the, if the game was played 30 times, we'd win, we'd win one. I'm, not, I'm no better at percentages than Allardyce, so, but I'll, I'll take your word for that. It sounds about right, yeah. It's either going to be the mother of all surprises this weekend, or it's going to be exactly what we expect. And I do think that Allardyce will be saying to himself, Yes, it's four games, but in realistic terms, when it comes to getting points together, it's probably three. And I don't doubt that he'll be massively targeting the three games that follow this over City away. I think more than anything, probably West Ham and Spurs. The problem is, in the meantime, if you take nothing from City and Newcastle, there's a grave, grave danger that you're adrift by the time you go to West Ham and that you've got ground to make up and the pressure is is too severe. That's the problem, isn't it? That these are really, really difficult, difficult games. And it's almost a case of even if you did absolutely the right thing at this point, and even if Allardyce is absolutely the right thing, is it going to be enough? Mm. It is an interesting question, but I will say this. Um, I believe if we go into the final day with a shot, if it's all down to that Spurs game at Ellen Road, we give ourselves a chance. Well, yeah, no, you, you do. Same as Brentford last season. And I, I would like to think that Allardyce, as opposed to Gracia, might create that or give the potential for that little bit of madness that you need on days like that Michael said last week he thought Spurs might be a dead rubber I think they're going to have to work really really hard to ensure that it isn't they're going to have to get something before then I think Forest at home to Southampton on Monday is a slightly scary fixture really Leicester drawing I've, I've, I've convinced myself that Southampton are going to get something out of that why? If, if not, I've just got because everybody expects Forest to win that Everybody, in the same way that when Leeds have been running into the Palace game and the Leicester game, everyone's gone, Leeds will win those and that's how we'll stay up. And I think you could apply the same to Forest. There'll be tremendous pressure surrounding it because their other fixtures look fairly terrible. They will fancy themselves to win it, but there's an awful lot of pressure that comes with it. And the Premier League is is rarely straightforward when it comes to stuff like this. So I think there is a case to be made for, I don't know, maybe a draw in that one. Could Southampton pinch it? James Ward-Prowse with a, with a free kick. And just something that... Because Southampton... Whilst they are, I think, probably, with the exception of us, the weakest team in the division, they've still got a little bit of something about them, as they proved when they went to to Arsenal and put on that performance there. Possibly. So, what, I mean, why not? I mean, it's just, I'm just trying to find some... some go, on, to, go on, Michael. Just trying to find somewhere to place my hope in the sense that we might not need as much as we think, depending on what happens elsewhere. I don't know. I think Southampton and Forest are both, are both bad teams. Mm. I think, along with us, probably the worst three in the league. Well, but what did you I, make of Leicester Everton then, Phil? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say, I still think at least four points from this point, don't you? Um, I cannot see 31-32 being enough. I think four points gives you a, a good chance. I don't think it might it might not be that many. You I don't really, think? No, I don't. If we hadn't spent those weeks completely torching our goal difference, it might have helped as well. Yeah. Leicester Everton. Leicester, like we were discussing after the Leicester game at, at Ellen Road... I think they'll be okay just because they have they have bits of quality in their team. They have Madison, they have Vardy, they have Telemans, they have Barnes, who did not have a good game, I didn't think, particularly on Monday night. But 
that is all there and that tends to just give you a little bit extra when you need it. Everton, and, and I, I say this knowing exactly what leads are, Everton look extremely limited, really limited. And I'm not sure Calvert-Lewin has it in his legs to do them four runs of 90 minutes before the end of the season, which is obviously a, a problem. I thought, I, I, I was, I was reading the, the kind of Everton um, read, up, read that we did after the game and Paddy Boylan's view was that it was a game Everton could and probably should have won. I kind of felt Leicester should have should have bagged that, should have done. If if that penalty goes in before half-time, then it's game over. Absolutely is. Um, it should have been theirs. Yeah, it's funny what pressure can do to people. Like, you know, Leicester do have some... Um... Some good match winners in there, but they are they are porous in defence as well. Their their run of fixtures is not easy because if they get nothing out of Fulham away, you've then got Liverpool at home, which is tough. Newcastle away, which is tough, and then it's all on West Ham at home in that final game, yeah. isn't it? So easier games than us, though. Potentially so. You but, would you but would say none of them look well, easy, well, do they? I, I mean, like again, this is going to swing, isn't it? Because if Leicester don't get anything against Fulham, suddenly they're on thirty points with three games to go, and they will start to think, how many are we really going to get from Liverpool, Newcastle, West Ham? If Forest don't do um, Southampton, it's the same for them. Leeds will probably come away from City with nothing on Saturday. So again, it's three games to go. You're, you're on 30 points. Everton what have got Brighton away and then Man City at home. So. Yeah, I think Everton will go. I do think Everton will go. I don't think they're going to get out of this. So therefore, I feel like it's one from, one from Leicester, Forest, Leeds. I think that's exactly Le- how it is. Every time someone says Leicester Forest, I think of the service station, Leicester Forest East. Ah, a fantastic one it is. <laughs> oh, must have stopped there about 300 times over the years, yeah. It's worth watching, just to complete aside, watch the documentaries on Leicester Forest East. It used to be, the, you know, the, the, the restaurant that's over the motorway. So mm. you can sit there in your Burger King as it is now. But that used to be one of the most exclusive restaurants in the country because of it was all new and exciting. Yeah, and everybody's like, wow, isn't this great? I was reading the piece in The Guardian about how Hartshead Moor is the worst service station officially in the entire country. Is that true? No. Oh, Bradford. Good old Bradford. I can't remember what they based that on or how they quantified it. You know, must be like there must be an XG for service stations or something like that expected um, service station yeah yeah expected weight at McDonald's something like that um, <laughs> but yeah everybody everybody is none of these teams are any good is what I came away from Leicester thinking but I could see players in Leicester's team who are good as opposed to looking at Everton where I didn't really see best way to put this if someone said to me would you like Vardy and Madison for the running you would say absolutely I don't really feel like there's anybody in that Everton team, with the exception of Pickford in goal, to be fair to him. Um, I don't think there's anybody that I'd be saying absolutely get him. Defensively, not great. Midfield isn't particularly strong. Calvert-Lewin is definitely not at full tilt. It's tough for them, and I have to say, speaking to their supporters, I think I think they kind of know. I think they kind of know, and I think the feeling will be that they've pushed their luck far too far. Mm, just looking at West Ham's fixtures as well, and they've got a real logjam of, of European fixtures. Now, yeah. they should be all right in the sense that they've got four points on, well, three teams and then five points on another. So given the, the number of games and given the nature of those games, you would say they're probably going to be fine. But... When, might, might not be out of the woods, though, not by quite. the time Leeds go there. Well, that's you know. what I was going to say, actually... Might it be? I was going to say, might it be better if they actually are out of the woods at that point and coming off the back of? I think it's like seven games in twenty-one days they've got. So if they know they're safe at that point, naturally the foot's going to come off the gas a little bit. It gives Leeds an opportunity. And I know this this whole last ten minutes has been me desperately clutching at straws, but last ten months, I think. (laughs) I just I just refuse to believe that Leeds are dead and buried yet, um, because we're never dead and buried, even though it's felt particularly at the close of play at Bournemouth, like we were, like we were in trouble. 
the, we, the, are, the, we are in deep trouble. But the, the critical thing here is probably to see how the table swings over the weekend. And I, I think if if Forest don't do what they need to do against Southampton, optimism levels will go up because then you start to ask, well, what are they going to finish on? You know what? And I think that would help Leeds. I, I do think. Allardyce probably again realistic enough to know that Newcastle is difficult, difficult, difficult game because they are just they are they are really really flying at the moment. But I bet he's looking at West Ham away and thinking possible. Looking at Spurs at home and thinking possible. As I say, the key is going to be that in two match days time after Newcastle at home, Leeds don't find themselves three points back or something like that because that is that is when you are well. That's when you're you're on the edge, isn't it? Yeah, we could maybe do with Newcastle securing their Champions League place as well before we we face them. Um, uh, yeah. So then uh, they can take their foot off the gas for that as well. <laughs> you're, abs- you're absolutely <laughs> clutching. So this is the sound of a desperate man. <laughs> I mean, the basic the basic hope for this weekend is that we somehow end up not in the bottom Every, three, isn't and it? And then everybody tosses it off for like three weeks. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, actually, I mean, to put, it, yeah, to put I mean, it in its simplest terms, you're right there, actually. We just need to keep eating up the games and not be in the bottom three, don't we? That's about about the size yeah. of it. Yeah, actually, and, no matter which way you dress it up, and it, it can be done. As I say, though, it, it feels like the stars are aligning in the wrong sense for definitely Southampton, but for Everton as well. And it looks like a bit of a a three game road rash, uh, three team road rash, unless West Ham decide to get back involved in this too, or Chelsea. So, in terms of the Etihad, oh, we didn't even bite on that, did he? In terms of the Etihad, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. do we? What do we need to get out of there with besides the three points? If they lose the game, it makes no difference. I, d- I don't. It, it would help Allardyce definitely if it looks better and everything else. But it's all, it all resets the game for Newcastle. I think if if they cause a surprise this weekend, we'll all come away thinking, right, this is this going to happen now. You know, they've they've the Allardyce might just have this in order. If it goes the way it's realistically likely to go, three point two percent. That that seems like a reasonable 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 odds, doesn't it, to, to look at? And um, then I think for Allardyce, he will say to himself, "Okay, pack that away because it was always going to go like that." Monday full week leading up to Newcastle, try and nail everything down. It's a three I, games, I think, a three game season. I think the key thing this weekend, quite honestly, is what goes on elsewhere. Mm-hmm. If we can if we can get the two percent out of every player, though, that becomes a twenty five percent chance of a win, doesn't it? So. Yeah. by the end of the season by the end of the season they should stick about 8 past Spurs yeah isn't it funny like the way that the Premier League has developed over the years into this almost uncompetitive thing where we're looking at this fixture and did did you see like last night Man City against West Ham the number of empty seats in that away end it's possibly a little warning sign for the Premier League in terms of its its anti-competitive nature in that a number of West Ham fans given that they've got European games coming up are going, do you know what's no point? The, the Premier League aren't, aren't bothered about crowds, are they? But it, as we said before, if there are empty, look at what's happening this weekend. But if there are, as, but as COVID proved, as we discussed, did we discuss this last week? Said, you know, empty seats don't look great, do they, on your TV program? So you need to just be careful yeah, for that. They're not in any way catering for people who go to games. Look at this this weekend. Two weeks' notice, it's been shifted to Saturday, and it's three o'clock kickoff. And what's happening with the game? On telly, isn't it? Yeah, so we have this rule, but actually, you know, if we need to, um, obviously that decision's been made for the fans, 100%, but um, as a, a sort of byproduct, it's also keeping broadcast partners sweet, which isn't, you know, good, fine and dandy. You know, this is this is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, 
oh, unfortunately that game can't be played on Sunday. It needs to be played on Saturday and the only slot's 3pm. So, yeah, this um, this blackout's really important. But actually, no, we'll just get rid of it because it's more important that your broadcast partners get the game. The reason that's happened as well is because there are no EFL fixtures, isn't it? So they have bent their reasoning on that basis. Yeah, but it's absolute, and, drif- and it's the, absolute drivel. And the coronation as well. Yeah, yeah I know the coronation's going on, but um, the, the, so are loads of games on Saturday. It's not as if they've cancelled the, the schedule or anything like that. It seems to me, and I've said this before, that as the years go by, your match-going fan becomes less and less important in the eyes of the people who dictate the game. And I do sometimes wonder whether if the money was good enough, they just quite happily pipe crowd noise over the top of it, um, you know, in, in the way that they, they do. And if people come to the games, great. If they don't, then who really cares? Mind you, I was going to say, it's, a, it's all about the product, isn't as, it? As Ted Lasso proves that you can computer-generate your crowds. Well, yeah, you so can, you yeah, can yeah, just yeah, do yeah. that, I guess, couldn't it's you? Just AI it's taking taking over the world. But I, this... I proposed during COVID to, to play them on green screens and make it look like it's on the moon and stuff. Yeah. I think that'd be a nice spin. What What do you think the motivation is for showing this game at three o'clock? Is it for the supporters who would have been going to that game, but because it was changed with all the two weeks' notice, can no longer go? So you still get to watch it. Sky Television, Philip. I think you're probably right. <sighs> yeah, genius. So there you go. It'll be, it'll be a real change to be able to watch a game at three o'clock because. No one's ever done that this season on telly or a laptop or a no. phone. Or... <laughs> no, no, no. One of the... Some in, an internet-connected device, we call it. <laughs> but as, as, far as, as far as City go, I've watched the game against Arsenal. It was absolutely astonishing. Mm. It was. Um, in the sense that it was meant to be first against second, Arsenal being first. Battle for the ages. Yeah. Was like, it, was it? Massive title decider. It was... Uh, the, the, I'm not being... Um, uncomplimentary to Arsenal because I just think anybody would have got absolutely destroyed given the way City were playing it was like an FA Cup game yeah. it was like watching a, a championship team going to the Etihad and trying to mix it with City and picking off a late goal but ultimately getting thrashed the golf was enormous Although absolutely massive West Ham's set up did enough to frustrate Man City for 45 minutes and it was only a moment of ill discipline that brought uh, brought about the um, the opening goal so there is there are lessons there to be had, I think, in terms of being well, organised and structure and things like that. I think the good thing is that you know that Allardyce will be working on that aspect of it. The thought, first and foremost, that you don't you, like concede as few as you can. And I know that goes without saying, but to look at Leeds at Bournemouth, it really looked as if that was running on to five or six towards the end. And at City, like with, you, know, you referenced the Brentford win over there, Allardyce. What Brentford did was hang in brilliantly take the chances um, and also in injury time took advantage of the fact that City clearly saw the need to, to win that game and were throwing everything at them but it will need to fall absolutely absolutely perfectly I can't see it um, On to actual football matters then would you give Melier a rest for this one maybe just to avoid denting his confidence any further if there is to be a, a beating at hand Good question Good question I feel like he might yeah. I feel like he might I thought he was sort of starting to hint at that yesterday and I think the one thing that will be in Allardyce's head is that at this stage, there's no point in giving anybody time to play their way into form. If you know what I mean, you'd need people just to turn up and 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 be good. I, I don't think there'll be any Liam Cooper um, at City. I think he's looking at two or three weeks for this groin problem that he's got. The team selection will be very interesting as will the formation, you know, to see how Allardyce thinks he can he can best do this. But goalkeeper probably most of all, as I say, I, I just wonder about that. 
barring that, it's going to be very structured, very organised. Two banks of four, if not a four and a five. And, you would uh, think, yeah. And we'll see how it unfolds. Well, enjoy the day out over there. Hope Thank they, you. I hope they feed and water you well, They Phil. always do. They mm-hmm. always do. Enjoy the coronation, those of you who watch that. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll have plenty. Uh, might, watch the, might watch that Leicester Forest Services thing instead. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. It's well worth a watch. Uh, we will wrap it up there. Then back on Monday, you and I, Phil, Phil Hay Monday Club over on the square ball feed. So look out for that where we will uh, pick apart the weekend in, in fi- just 15 minutes. Uh, it's a real treat. So look out for us That'll over there. That'll be one minute for every goal. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, right, we'll speak to you soon. The Phil Hay Show.